the one important piece that I just remember as coaching advice from this U.S. Postal Inspector was that your mom is a victim. And when you see her, when you get home, the first thing that you do is give her a big hug. You might be mad. You might be upset that there's been money lost or whatever it might be. But your mother is a victim and she needs to know that she has your support and that you care and that it's a safe place to share all the details of what is going on. Introducing The Protectors, inside criminal minds from around the world. Presented by the IAFCI, leaders in safeguarding consumers from fraud and scams for more than 50 years. And now your hosts, International President Mark Solomon and Chairman of the Board Michael Carroll. Hello, everybody. This is Mike Carroll, International Chairman of the International Association of Financial Crimes Investigators. I am with Mark Solomon, our international president. How are you doing today, Mark? Mike, I'm doing well. And again, I think this is really going to be another special podcast where our listeners hear of uh, a very difficult story, but also a, a story of courage. So I'm looking forward to uh, introducing our next guest. Yeah, you're right, Mark. I've been, you know, kind of thinking back. I think we're over 36 episodes. And, uh, I think that the podcast has provided a lot of great information to not only our members of the IAFCI, but to the public. And I think this one here is something special. I think this is going to be a great podcast, and this is the reason why we do these podcasts. So, Mark, if you want to introduce our first guest, please. I will. Ladies and gentlemen, I am so honored, and Mike and I both, to have Kelly Gao here with us today. At the age of 57, her mother died, and her death is unexplained at this point. She was also a victim of a romance and investment scheme. Criminals targeted her mother and stole over $1.5 million of her savings. Shortly thereafter, she disappeared, and several days later, her body was found in the Mississippi River. I know this will be a difficult story for our next guest to share with us, but she has the courage to come forward to tell how her mother was targeted, what that impact had on her family and friends. And at the end of this podcast, I believe there will be more questions than answers. But nonetheless, she has the courage to come forward today to speak on the podcast and tell us this very special story. Without further ado, I'd like to welcome Kelly Gow to the show. Mike, Mark, thank you for the opportunity to join both of you today. I'm extremely grateful uh, to join you on your platform to share my mom's story. Thank you, Kelly. We really appreciate it again, like Mark said, uh, having the courage to come on our podcast. You know, if I could just start out, I want to ask you a little bit about yourself, uh, your background, and uh, a little more about your family. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I actually grew up in Arlington Heights, a suburb outside of Chicago, and I felt like I had your stereotypical American childhood. My mom had a very successful career in upper management in the healthcare field, and my dad was a meteorologist for a commodity trading firm in downtown Chicago. And even amongst their full-time jobs, they made it a priority to be very involved as a family and support me in all of my interests and sporting activities throughout my younger schooling career. And Kelly, can you tell us a little bit about your mom uh, specifically? Uh, I know your dad passed um, 
And could you tell us a little bit about their relationship and also uh, the impact of, of losing her husband? I always knew that my strong relationship throughout my childhood, but I realized how strong the two of them were together as a team and a partnership when my dad was diagnosed with a rare cancer at the end of 2012. And during this time, I think it's, you know, anytime there's adversity um, or any issues that come up or turmoil, it's very easy to spiral into a negative mindset and let that carry over into other aspects of your life. But that was just not my mom's mindset at all. And that definitely carried over into our family. So my dad fought cancer for three and a half years and it was never a doom and gloom attitude. It was focused on a quality of life over a quantity of life. And, you know, the two of them really exemplified, I think, what a partnership and a marriage was all about. And even though there was no cure for my dad's cancer, um, he did palliative care chemotherapy for the three and a half years. The two of them still had dreams of retiring and looked to the future. And that was really the attitude that they had over the course of my dad's cancer journey. Kelly, can you tell us about your mom, Laura? What kind of person was she? My mom was a class half full person, and I think anybody could tell you when she walked into a room, she had this vibe and this smile that just radiated across everyone. And she always carried an extremely positive mindset. And, you know, looking at her as a mom, she was my biggest cheerleader in everything that I did. And she was always a mom first, but our relationship certainly evolved once I graduated from college. And I think it's that unique transition that can happen. You know, I can only speak from a mother-daughter relationship, but she truly became my best friend and supporter in everything, especially after my dad lost his battle with cancer. Um, as far as, you know, her and her involvement um, in her work and also in the community, from a work perspective, my mom was a role model for a lot of different individuals that she had managed in her career. And outside of her career, uh, was extremely involved um, in the community and volunteering, had a big social network, was oftentimes referred to as the mayor on her street because of her ability to always keep tabs on everyone and planning social events. So um, even after my dad passed away, and Kelly, I heard um, a story that um, your mom volunteered at nursing homes and other uh, facilities uh, with her beloved dog, Effie. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely. Effie was a dog that my mom together um, received after my dad had passed away. And our goal of getting Effie was to train her to be a therapy dog that worked at the local nursing homes and hospice facilities as an honor to my dad because we had therapy dog services during his care with cancer. And so after my dad passed away, my mom and Effie had this extremely special bond and the two of them were two peas in a pod, went everywhere together and volunteered multiple days a week at local nursing homes and hospice facilities in the Galena area. Kelly, listening to you talking about your mom, it sounds like you were really close with your mom too. We were. She was my best friend. And like I had mentioned earlier, just about, I think, that evolution of our relationship, um, going from the mother-daughter parenting relationship to a true friendship, that was 100% true, especially after I lost my dad and graduated from school and began working full-time. And 
you know, even though my career had always kept me within a few hours uh, from Galena, we spoke every day on the phone multiple times a day and always made a point to schedule time together on weekends, um, never really going probably more than two weeks without seeing each other. And especially after she retired, she had more time too. So it wasn't unheard of if she just wanted to hop, you know, drive down to where I was at on a Wednesday night and just stay the night and go out to dinner. Mm. But she truly was my best friend. And Kelly, I appreciate you sharing that. You know, Mike and I believe it's so important for our audience to get to know uh, our victims that were targeted by these frauds. And like I said, thank you for sharing that. I want to switch now to really the call that changed your life and your entire family's life forever. Um, can you tell us about that? On August 7th, that was the day that changed my life forever. And it started off like any normal day. I actually talked to my mom that morning uh, before going to work. And I remember I had a very full day of customer meetings, but I had the opportunity to run home really quick over lunch, grab a quick bite to eat, catch up on a few emails, And uh, during that time, that short period at home, I went through my voicemails that I had missed uh, earlier in the day. And I had received a voicemail from a U.S. postal inspector saying that she believed that my mother, Laura, was a victim of a scam from a case that she was working on with a total loss of $75,000. And my first reaction to that was, well, this is a scam. So you thought that the actual call itself was a scam? Correct. I thought the voicemail from this U.S. Postal Inspector was a scam. And part of that was that I recently had my identity stolen uh, in a very severe capacity um, over you know the last few months. And so I thought maybe this was ramifications of that. And now, you know, because of that process that I was going through, maybe these scammers had my mom's information. Kelly, I was going to ask you, how did you end up verifying that it was a legitimate call? So I uh, actually called my mom first. I think just like most concerned children in kind of a time of panic, I called her and I said, Mom, I got this really weird voicemail. And the power of technology, I actually texted her that voicemail link so she could listen to it. And it was right when I told her that the context of the voicemail, her demeanor and her tone changed. Mm. And it was in that second that it was almost like a time machine for me of going back, like this Rolodex, like everything just started going back to me of her tone and her demeanor and her personality and how she responded to it. It took me back to 2018, 2019, when her and I had a strained relationship because of an online dating relationship that she was in that I didn't approve of. Uh, So you immediately recognized that there might be connection with this call from the Postal Inspection Service, your mom being a victim in this online uh, romance. Yes. I knew in that instant, my gut told me that because of her response, which was very short, there was nothing like urgent about it, but she was very straight to the point and just said, let me investigate this. I will take care of everything. Everything will be fine. And she hung up. And it wasn't her normal mom behavior, but it reminded me back to that 2018, 2019. So for me, it was 
immediate validation that there was legitimacy to this call and that all of this was linked together. Well, Kelly, your, your early conversation with your mom, did she report this to the authorities? She, at this point, no. I had no context outside of the voicemail that I had received about any communication she had previously with the U.S. Postal inspectors um, or any other authorities. But her response and my gut feeling that there was a connection and legitimacy in this voicemail prompted me to call this U.S. Postal inspector back. And I need her proof to myself that she was legitimate because I wanted to make sure there there was no scam involved in this. So I actually called the postal service and had them look up the U.S. Postal inspector's name in the email system to validate that she was legitimate. And her and I proceeded then with a conversation about what the context of her voicemail was. Hey, that's the way to do it. Very good. You know, verifying who you're talking to. And Kelly, uh, I want to ask you now, I want to bring our audience back a little bit uh, preceding this phone call. Can you tell us when you first learned about your mom's online relationship with this individual or supposed individual? It was the fall of 2018 that my mom had shared with me that she thought that she was ready to date again since losing my dad. And this was extremely hard for me because truthfully, I was still heavily grieving my dad, even though I think she, you know, had moved on in a sense in a different way. And I think it's important that everyone grieves differently and at different times and there's no right or wrong way. But for me, it was really hard to hear that my mom you know, somebody who loved my dad more than anything said that she was ready to find somebody new and share a part of her life with. So I was, I was upset about that, but I knew that she was never trying to replace my dad. So even on this journey of her dating, I was never concerned about her, you know, dating somebody that I would have concerns over or wouldn't accept just because I knew how much my mom loved my dad. And quite frankly, she would be picky. And some of those characteristics and qualities that she loved about my dad, I knew the man that she's trying to find, he would have to come close. And that was a pretty high bar that my dad had set. You know, looking back on it now, I know that my mom had so many buckets in her life full you know, with her friends and her family and volunteering in a social life. But the one bucket that I don't think any person in her life could fill was having that male companionship that she had with my dad and having that friendship. And, you know, looking back, I was so focused on how I was feeling grieving my dad during that time that I failed to recognize her own loss and desires for what she was needing to be happy in her life. So that is one thing you know, if I could go back and change in some of those conversations, I would in a heartbeat. Um, but I think, you know, somebody can have all of these things going for them in their life, but that doesn't mean that there aren't some of these other buckets that still need to be filled. Hey, Kelly, when your mom said she was going to start dating again, did she tell you how she was going to date? Was she going to go online or was she going to go to maybe local clubs or organizations to meet other people? Yeah, so my mom and I talked about that, and she was very specific on what she was trying to find in somebody, and uh, she said she was going to try online dating, and like I said, I it was a hard, a hard thing for me in having those conversations, just because I was upset, just in general, that she was going to start dating, because I, I wasn't there 
um, selfishly, right? But she had told me she was going to try online dating. And at that point, I'm like, my mom is a extremely smart and savvy and competent woman. I have no concerns about her, you know, falling into any, any traps or with the wrong person just because I trusted her. I trusted everything about my mom and her competency in that. So she, I knew, went on um, a major online dating platform and created a profile. And that was really the extent of it. I knew that she had gone on, uh, you know, maybe a few like in-person dates, but she never really gave me a ton of detail on it and was pretty quiet because she also knew at that time it, it upset me to hear about that. So while our relationship at that point, you know, we still talked and all those things. It was also one of those topics that we just didn't openly talk about together, I think because of the different perspectives we had on it. And Kelly, from your, your point of view too, um, you know, I have a teenage daughter and, you know, as a parent, you get nervous about uh, them meeting somebody in person. For you personally, did it feel a little more safer that she was meeting people online first or did that have any impact on you? You know, my perception on it is very different. Knowing what I know, I would have been more of a like helicopter mom to my mom on online dating. But truthfully, at the time, I just thought because my mom was so competent and my mom was kind of a worry wart on things that she wouldn't even put herself in a position that could potentially cause her any harm. And I just thought, too, that, you know, the individuals that she would be having these conversations with potentially leading to an in-person date that she could handle that. Like she, she was good in handling that. She was strong enough to do that and would, would make the smart decisions. Kelly, I got to ask you, once you learned that your mom had a relationship with somebody online, um, had you had conversation with your mom about this person, what she told you about this person she met online? I did. And so she was very upfront with me. Um, in the fall of 2018 that she had met somebody online and she was almost giddy about him. His name was Frank and he was from the Iowa City area, which was a connection to my mom. My mom grew up on a farm in eastern Iowa and had strong roots to the state of Iowa. So she really liked that. Um, But he actually was originally from Sweden. So there was dual citizenship there. Um, He was widowed just like her. He had one daughter similar to her, was around the same age. And he had a really successful career in the investment industry, financial industry. And he was in the process of slowly trying to retire is what she had shared with me. So he was still working and traveling uh, across the globe, but with the hopes to take a step back and kind of transition into a consulting type role in his career. So that's what she had shared with me about him and that he now too was located in the Chicago area as his U.S. based location whenever he wasn't traveling internationally. You know, Kelly, you brought up a great point to our audience here is how the fraudster will make a connection uh, with the victim that they're targeting. So all of a sudden they have the same interest. They might be from the same area. They like doing the same things. How quickly did that fraudster get your mom off the platform and uh, communicate in a different way? And if you can maybe share what that communication was. It was fairly quick. Um, What I know after the fact now, it was within a few weeks 
Frank, the man that she was dating, met online, had asked her to move to email communications to get off of the platform. Um, and one thing, too, that you had mentioned was just the similarities that the two of them had. I mean, the fact, you know, they're both widowed, they had one daughter. There was a lot, some other details to me that were actually just, like, too eerily similar. And that's actually what one of my largest concerns was. I immediately had red flags when she had told me about this relationship that she wanted to embark on. And part of that was just how similar the stories were. Right, exactly. Hey, can I ask you, Kelly, did she ever, your mom ever provide you with a picture of this person, what he looked like, or that she had met this person at all? So I never saw any pictures, but nor did I ask. And, okay. you know, it's one of the things I wish I could go back and change now. But again, I was just so upset about it. I almost didn't want to know what was going on with the relationship. I was under the impression that they did meet person. And that was because she would tell me she was going to see him in Chicago on the weekends and or he was coming to visit her. And when those weekends uh, were supposed to be happening, I hardly heard from her. Um, so I just assumed that they were spending time together. But do I know today and can confidently say that she met him physically? That I do not know. Okay, well, let me ask you, what changes did you notice in your mom throughout the relationship? Yeah, at first, you know, it was, I would say things were fairly typical between us with communications and things, but my concerns grew deeper and deeper for her involvement with Frank and her demeanor just started changing. And like I said, that phone call on August 7th, it took me back to her demeanor during the time. And the best way to describe it for me was that she just wasn't my mom anymore. She would say things to me too that I would even question her and say, is Frank telling you to say that to me? Because that doesn't even sound like the mom that I know. She became more withdrawn then from me, especially around Frank and that relationship. Now, I asked her to go and do something. She would definitely do that. I mean, she was still a mom in that sense. But it bothered me so much because she just changed as a person. And I remember telling my mom, I just said, I don't know. I said all the ins and outs of this relationship, but I said, I don't like who you are becoming in this relationship. And I said, that is my biggest concern is what he is doing to you. Mm. Um, but she was, she was head over heels for him. So Kelly, did your mom ever disclose to you uh, any time during the relationship that she was providing money or the reason uh, if she was to Frank? She never admitted to me that she was involved financially with Frank, but this would be, I would say, probably the most pivotal moment in our relationship being strained was that I had concerns of that. So you remember Frank supposedly was part of an investment firm. They were located out of the UK, worked in the finance industry. And a little background too is that both of my parents were extremely fortunate to be able to retire early and definitely had education and background, right, in savings and investments and all of those things. So I always felt like even after my dad passed, my mom was extremely competent in that area of managing their finances moving forward and that she would never do anything, honestly, quote unquote, stupid with any of the financial decisions that she was making. But I did have concerns and it was because of a link that I had to a few banking accounts, a few accounts that my parents had me on, listed on as a name after my dad had passed. 
And one day I was just going through my normal financials on my own end. And I noticed that there was a large sum of money that had gotten moved out of my mom's account. And I actually called her and I just said, mom, I just noticed, I said, I'm not trying to dig into your finances or anything like that. But I noticed that there was a large sum of money that got moved. They said, my concern is that there's something going on or you're taking financial advice from Frank. And she said, well, I moved the account into a different investment account. Okay. And so I was like, okay, like I, I took that, that she knew what she was doing, but I did follow up with her and I just said, mom, if you are taking any financial advice from this man that you just met, you cannot do that. I said, you don't know him. I said, you've only been with him, talking with him for months at this point. I said, I don't want you to get in trouble by doing anything like that. Hey, Kelly, let me just go back. Is this an account that you were a co-signer on? Uh, no, I was not a co-signer, but I had visibility to it. So that's I gotcha. uh, one thing that banks can do now where you don't have full access to it, but you at least have visibility. And it wasn't on every account that my parents had. It was just on a few after my dad had passed away that they had set me up on. Kelly, uh, one last question. I want to get into, obviously, uh, Mike and I want to get into the disappearance of your mom. But the last question I have is, I know you didn't know then, but during the course of the investigation afterwards, did you learn how much money Frank stole from your mom? I did. And it wasn't immediate. I did learn a lot the day that she went missing from myself, just tearing the house apart and trying to find financial records. But at this point, we know that my mom had lost around $1.5 million. It just uh, It just shows you how horrible people can be um, to do that to a person, you know, that was a widower, an incredible woman, like you explained, and they could be so cold and heartless to take all their life savings. So It's extremely heavy to hear that number and... I guess to provide, you know, some additional detail, what we know at this point in the investigation is that the majority of that money is in China. And what I have been told is that China is unwilling to work with the U.S. on any part of the investigation. So extremely unfortunate, Um, obviously have some very strong opinions, you know, about all of that. But I think what hurts me the most is that my parents worked so hard their entire lives, my childhood to be able to financially retire early, you know, learning that $1.5 million uh, was stolen and scammed for my mom was extremely heavy to learn. Mm, I could only imagine. And and again, I want to express this to our audience here and listeners. There is an active ongoing investigation on the federal level into the fraud scheme. And there's also a, a separate investigation into the disappearance and death of your mom. And, and the last thing we are uh, won't do is interfere with those investigations. Uh, we want law enforcement to continue their investigations and uh, seek justice for your mom in both of the investigations. So, Kelly, as we talk about the final days and disappearance of your mom, Laura Kowal, can you tell us about the events of that day? Yes. After I received uh, the voicemail from the U.S. Postal Inspector, called my mom, and then followed up with the Postal Inspector to validate her concerns, I had a more detailed conversation with her during those moments about 
the concerns I had of my mom having an online relationship and this potentially being linked to it. And so she shared with me just kind of some steps that she suggested. And so I hung up with her and tried calling my mom back. And I kept getting pushed to voicemail. My mom wasn't answering. And then it got to the point where my calls and texts were no longer going through. And I was becoming very frantic at that point, trying to get a hold of my mom, just because her not taking my calls either was not like her. And so I called the U.S. Postal Inspector back and I just said, something is not right. My gut is telling me something is not right. And now my calls are not even going through. And I knew I had to get to Galena. So I canceled my meetings immediately, put God knows what into a small bag and got in my vehicle and started driving towards Galena. So Kelly, do you know if your mom had specific plans on that date? I did not at the time, but I knew after the fact that my mom had plans during this time period around the lunch hour. So I uh, was very concerned on my drive home. I called the U.S. Postal Inspector again, and she gave me advice, too, to say, you know, if your mom is still involved in this scam, we don't know the magnitude of her involvement or what could be going on. But do you understand that one thing that these scammers do, these criminals do, is they coach their victims to go take out more money or they threaten them in some way. And so your mom right now might be being coached to go and withdraw money and that's where she's at and that's why she's not answering you. So I had all these different thoughts going through my mind. But the one important piece that I just vividly remember as coaching advice from this U.S. Postal Inspector was that your mom is a victim, and when you see her, when you get home and see her, the first thing that you do is give her a big hug. You might be mad. You might be upset that there's been money lost or whatever it might be, but your mother is a victim, and she needs to know that she has your support and that you care and that it's a safe place to share all the details of what is going on. And so on my drive home, after talking to the U.S. Postal Inspector again, I called our close neighbor. And I wanted to just gather a few more facts from her without scaring her because I couldn't get a hold of my mom. But I also knew what if my mom was just outside or in the garden or on the property somewhere. So I didn't want to give her any details of what I thought was going on. But I did tell her, I said, you know, I'm trying to get a hold of my mom. And I said, do you mind just walking over to the house to see if she is home? And if she's not home, do you mind opening the garage door to see if her car is there? So she stayed on the phone with me and walked over to our property and she said, well, Effie's home. Effie the dog is home because Effie started barking. So immediately for me, that was instant reassurance that wherever my mom was at, if she was not home, she was coming back because my mom kept that dog on such a routine schedule of eating meals at a certain time and all of that. My mom would never leave that dog. So for me, that was a good sign. But then I had the neighbor open the garage door and she had told me that her car was gone. And at that point, I kind of cut her off and I just said, I will be home very shortly. And I said, I will touch base with you right when I get home. And Kelly, at what point did you get law enforcement involved with the disappearance of your mom? I arrived to my mom's house uh, early that afternoon and opened the door, came into the house, and everything seemed normal. Uh, there was nothing out of place. Effie looked like she just woken up, so there wasn't anything with Effie the dog that seemed different. Um, my mom had been gardening that morning. My mom was a huge gardener, so 
it was not uncommon to find a bunch of cleaned vegetables drying on the counter. The house was completely clean and in order, but I knew that if there were any financial implications involved with all of this, that I just had to start going through whatever I could in the house. And so my gut told me to go and look at the office desk. And the first drawer that I opened, there was a sheet of paper on top with an international phone number with the name Frank under it. And at that point, my heart sank because I knew in my gut that this was all tied together. And underneath that international phone number was paper documentation of financial wire transfers that were transferred to numerous countries and just various financial information that I found. So I didn't take the time to go through that in detail, but I saw enough to know that something had happened to my mom. And that's one thing I probably repeatedly will say throughout our time together, but my gut was something that I trusted from the beginning in this process. And it's something that I'm extremely proud of myself for following so quickly. And I will just say, no matter what it is in life, that if something feels off or doesn't feel right, it's because it is. And you may not know what the specifics of that reason are, but there's a reason that you have those feelings. And so I knew that I needed help. And I actually called my mom's sister, my aunt, and told her that she needed to get here right away because I thought my mom was missing. And I knew that if my mom was not home by five o'clock to feed Effie the dog, that something had happened to her because my mom would not leave that dog out of her routine. And so at that point, five o'clock came and I called the authorities. Kelly, can I also go back to what you were saying about when you got to your mom's house? Didn't you mention that you had conversation with your neighbor and prior to your mom disappearing, she saw your mom outside having a loud conversation with somebody on the phone? Yes, that is correct. So during this period, too, when law enforcement was showing up, I went back over to speak with the neighbors. And this was the neighbor that I had called to go check on the house while I was driving over. And she shared more details with me that she actually spent the morning with my mom and the two of them were gardening together and having coffee on the porch, which was extremely normal behavior for both of them. And they decided that they were going to go to lunch. They had lunch plans in town. And so it got to the point where they were talking too much and for an extended period of time that they said, oh, we need to go clean up. We're going to be late for lunch. So my mom walked back to the house to shower up and clean up to get ready for lunch. And this neighbor was going to drive and pick my mom up at a specific time. And this neighbor was had her car pulled out in the driveway and was just cleaning the back seat out and some other things, just getting ready for their trip into town. And the neighbor heard my mom walking around on her driveway on the cell phone talking to somebody. And she specifically heard my mom say, well, I'm supposed to be meeting my neighbor, Kathy, for lunch. And it was within a few minutes, Kathy, the neighbor, was going to be driving over to pick her up where my mom texted her and said, I'm so sorry, Kathy, I'm not going to be able to do lunch anymore. Mm -hmm. So learning those details, I knew that whoever my mom communicated with, it wasn't me, but it was somebody that was also unfamiliar with our neighbor somebody that wasn't local to the area because my mom specifically had to identify Kathy as the neighbor. 
And it also was an unplanned call being that my mom never would have canceled her lunch plans with her friend, Kathy. So, Kelly, do you believe that by that text, do you believe that your mom was going to meet somebody? Yes. I believe that whoever my mom spoke to in those moments was the person or persons that drove her away from the house. Wow. So, Kelly, I'd like to pause right here for our listeners. Um, You provided us with a lot of information about the crime committed against your mother and also events leading up to her disappearance. Kelly, you're coming back for part two of this story. Absolutely. Listeners, this story is far from over. We're going to be bringing in Carrie and Kathy Randolph, who located Laura's body in the Mississippi River. And the Randolphs will recount seeing a totally different body floating in the same area of the river just prior to discovering Laura's body. Be sure to tune in to part two in two weeks. We'll uncover more details that may have you rethinking whether Laura's death was an accident, a suicide, or murder. I'm Mike Carroll in Chicago. I'm signing out. And I'm Mark Solomon in Connecticut, and we'll see you in two weeks. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. Remember, as you join the fight to protect our citizens, you're not alone. With more than 6,500 members from around the world, the men and women of the IAFCI are standing together with you. To learn more or to join the IAFCI, please visit our website at www.iafci.org. The Protectors Podcast is produced by Modified Media and is available for free wherever you listen to podcasts. The hosts and guest opinions are their own and do not reflect those of management, employers, or sponsors. Listeners are encouraged to contact law enforcement if they suspect being a victim of a crime.